But we're getting near the end of Exodus. I'm kind of sad about that because I think I've loved teaching y'all out of Exodus, but y'all may be ready to move on to something else by now after spending the summer in Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 33. Let me give you a little bit of background for what's going on here. Last week, we talked about the sad incident of the golden calf and how the people had just said, yes, God, we will do whatever you say. And then they had this 40 days of waiting where they didn't hear a word from God, where they couldn't find Moses and they didn't know the way to go. And so they tried to make a manageable God. They made themselves a golden calf. And whether that was a whole new God or whether that was just something that they thought would invoke the presence of their God, it was a big sin. It was a big mistake because we saw that God is, is actually supposed to be beyond us, supposed to go beyond us. Now, what happened after this is Moses grinds up the calf. Remember how I said, I don't know if I got to say this, but um, basically he grinds up the calf. Did I tell you all that? And he makes them drink it. And so think about how all of the plunder that they got from Egypt, those earrings, that gold, all that stuff, they put it towards the calf. And where did it end up? Excrement in the wilderness. So that's where it was. That's the, Moses made them eat it. It ended up pee in the wilderness. And so ever since that point, God has been upset with the people. Moses was upset with the people. And God has started saying, I can't go with the people. Because if I went with them, I would kill them. So I'm going to send my angel to go with them. And so we're going to pick up here um, with what Moses has to say to the Lord about this. Okay? So this is in Exodus chapter 23, starting with verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You call me by name and you tell me I have found favor with you. Please, if this is really so, show me your intentions so I will understand you more fully and do exactly what you want me to do. Besides, don't forget that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't go with us personally, don't let us move a step from this place. If you don't go with us, how will everyone, anyone ever know that your people and I have found favor with you? How else will they know we are, your special, and we are special and distinct from all other people on the earth? And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and you are my friend. Then Moses had one more request. Please let me see your glorious presence, he said. And other translations will say, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, the Lord, to you. I will show kindness to anyone I choose, and I will show mercy to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, stand here on this rock beside me. As my glorious presence passes by, again, as my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see me from behind but my face will not be seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So did you realize, have you, have you picked up on this in the book of Exodus, that Moses is back where the journey started? For him at least, right? Where did the journey to be a liberator begin for Moses? What was the event? The burning bush. And where did that happen? 
on, in the desert on a mountain called Sinai. Now, when the people come back, it's that same mountain with the burning bush where Moses had been a shepherd that God calls Moses to, and they, they make the covenant there. That's the mountain that we've been talking about, Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses saw the bush burning, where he offered God a pack of excuses why he is not the guy, right? Now he's by the mountain again, and he's asking a whole different thing. But let's think about it for a minute. Think about who Moses was the first time, a couple years back, when he was on the mountain. He was a quasi-Egyptian, quasi-Hebrew, exiled murderer who was now tending sheep, right? That's who he was when he encountered God and God said, you are going to be my great leader. He didn't really know God. He knew of God, but he didn't know God. And he had tried at leadership and failed. And God says to this failed exile, go be my leader. And now Moses is back at the mountain and think about who he is. He is still a shepherd, right? Only his sheep are a bunch of people, thousands of people. Are they as persnickety as sheep can sometimes be? Yes, they are. In fact, I'd say they bite worse than a sheep sometimes, and they all gang up on him sometimes, and they wander off, and they, they you know, go after a golden calf, and I mean, all this kind of stuff. They are like sheep, and he's their shepherd. And now what he's worried about is, well, we're going to see. There's two things that Moses ex is expressing here. He says something to God three times. Two of those are about his fears. He brings his fears to God. And the third is about an ache in his heart. So let's look at the fear. The, the fear is because it follows the calf disaster, where after the calf disaster, God's been saying, I can't go with these people or, or I'll kill them, right? And Moses is in the middle of the desert. They're halfway, right, to the promised land. They're even further away because the people are going to bite and rebel at the river. And then they'll have to wander for 40 years with poor Moses leading them um, through the wilderness till they can get back to the Jordan River. But Moses is in the center of this, and he's afraid that God's going to abandon him there in the wilderness, that no one will see him through. Have you ever felt that way? That here I am right in the hardest part, and I'm so afraid God's going to leave me right here. And so we hear him saying to God, God, if you don't go with me, then just leave us here. Don't send me out on my own. I cannot carry this burden on my own. I can't do it. Did you see? So God and Moses go back and forth with what they call the people. They, oftentimes God says, your people, Moses, like when he's really angry, your people. It's like a spouse. Spouse is fighting almost. <laughs> your children are blah, blah, blah. Well, your children. And so God says, your people, Moses. And Moses reminds God, your people, God. Your people. And so what does God say? God says this lovely thing to Moses. He says three assurances. I will go with you personally. I will give you rest. And I love this one. Everything will be fine for you. Everything will be fine for you, Moses. So think about that. I will go with you personally. Number one, God does not abandon us in the wilderness. Remember that. I know it feels hard. Do you remember how the people felt when they made the calf? What were they fearing? That God had abandoned them. Moses is not immune to that. Isn't that interesting? He's feeling the same way the people felt when they built the calf, but what did they do? What did they, do? they built the calf. They tried to manage God. What does Moses do? He talks to God and says, I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid you're going to leave me. And then he has the ability to hear God answer and say, I'm never going to leave you. And then the, I will give you rest and everything will be fine. When you're in the middle of the wilderness, I know y'all have been there. Maybe you are there today. The thing you're longing for the most is a day without drama, a day without disaster, a day without catastrophe, just a normal, beautiful day. And what does God say? I will give that to you. I will give you rest. I will give it to you. Then he says, everything will be fine for you. Rest is coming. So I'd encourage you to hear that if you feel like you're in the middle of the wilderness, if you feel like, I don't know how much longer I can go. I don't know if God will go with you. God will go with you. He will bring you rest. It will be okay. Remember that. And turn to God. Don't, don't try to go to the calf. Now, the second thing that he says, um, Moses then gets really bold, right? Um, he's, so God answers the fear and now's the ache. Before, when God had spoken to Moses several years before and there was a burning bush, what did Moses do? He was like, no, 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 no. You want somebody else, right? Not me. It's not me you're looking for. And he had a pack of excuses. And now what is he saying? I mean, what has Moses done, y'all? That power of God has flowed through his hands. He's been a liberator of thousands of slaves. Pharaoh has been defeated because of his work. When he prays, quail come running into the camp. Armies are defeated. This is Moses. Moses speaks with God, as the Bible says, face to face. We don't know what that means, but that implies an intimacy, a deep intimacy between God and Moses. And what does God call Moses here? You are my friend, okay? And what does he still want? He wants more. He says, show me your glory, Okay, now we're kind of like, okay, show me your glory. I sing that song sometimes, right? Show me your glory. I sing that. Do you ever sing that? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. The word of he- glory is kabod. Have y'all ever heard that word? That's a Hebrew word. You ever heard kabod? Kabod is a, one of those words that we really have a hard time translating into English because it means so much. There's so much in there when you hear glory, especially in the Old Testament because it's written in Hebrew, kabod glory. It means majesty, splendor, magnitude, honor. It's all of those things. And then it has this weight component to it. Kavod is a heavy word. And the more glorious, the more kavod somebody has, the heavier it sounds. If you say that word to someone in Hebrew, it feels heavy. Now, you might say a person has glory, right? Just an everyday person, they have glory. Now think about the glory of an everyday person versus the glory of a king or a queen. How much heavier that kabod is for a king or a queen. Now think about the glory of the king or the queen versus the glory of a whole kingdom. See how much heavier that's gotten? And then think about the glory of God, which is what Moses is asking to see. The glory of God, Isaiah says, fills the earth fills the earth. It has so much weight. It goes throughout the earth. That is how heavy, how big, how amazing God's glory is. And that's what Moses is asking to see. Show me your glory. What does God say? No. Y'all are like, really? (laughs) Yes, he does. He does say no. He does not show Moses his glory because he tells Moses, you would die if you saw my glory. You cannot see it and live. But then he says, here's what I'll do. 
see these rocks, stand beside me, and be in a cleft of a rock. Have you ever seen like a cleft or a crevice? I can imagine like Moses has to be in the cleft or the crevice because when this vision of God, this feeling of God's presence, because God's going to cover Moses with his hand so he can't see anything, but he can feel the presence of God passing by, which has to be amazing, and he can hear the Lord speak his name. And to even endure that, he has to be held up by a rock. Just fall over. What do people always do when angels show up? They fall over, right? And they cover their eyes and they're terrified. And they think they're going to die. And so Moses has to be in the cleft of the rock, supported by the rock, so that he can even endure this. And then God's going to pass by what God says. And to pass by, right when I'm almost out of view, I take my hand away, and you're going to catch a glimpse, just a glimpse out of the corner of your eye, of my back. That's the only look, the only glimpse that wouldn't kill him. God's hiney, right? So glorious you have to be in a rock to behold a fleeting glimpse of God's backside. And Moses is like the top you know, friend, leader, everything ever of God, one of the most faithful. Let me take you on down the road several hundred years. Y'all have heard of Elijah? Have you heard of Elijah? Elijah was a great prophet of God. During the time of the kings, this is after the kingdom was established, then there were kings over Israel, and um, they eventually went horribly astray. And um, Elijah was a prophet in the northern kingdom, which, ooh, that's like synonymous with really bad stuff. Actually, interestingly enough, one of the first northern kings, um, when they broke away, created a golden calf, right? And said, this is your God. So you can tell that that, that nation, the northern part of um, Judea, or it's called Israel, the northern part of Israel, and it was named Israel, start getting confusing here, um, is going the wrong way when it starts off on that foot. So Elijah's trying to bring them back to God. There's a terrible king, um, and he is ruling, he's oppressing people, he's leading the people astray. Um, there's this dramatic showdown where Elijah prays that it won't rain, and it doesn't. So there's a drought, we can identify with that. And Elijah is fed by birds, y'all might have seen Elijah fed by ravens, pictures of that. And then by a widow whose house he goes and stays in, and they have like this much um, oil and this much flour left um, before they die, and it never runs out. It's always just enough throughout that whole famine. And so Elijah is cared for, and then there's this dramatic showdown um, where God is proved to be true, and Baal, um, the false god, is proved to be nothing, just air. And then Elijah prays to God, and the clouds come and the rain comes down. And so Elijah turned the people back to God. He brought an evil king to his knees, and he did all this stuff. And then the most amazing thing is right after this, he's, it's like somebody says boo to him, and he's and he runs away. And where does he go? He goes to Mount Sinai, back to the place where hundreds of years before his ancestor Moses had met with God, and he begs to speak with God, begs to speak with him. And God says, wait in a cave until you hear me pass by. And Elijah hears uh, this huge windstorm that tears rocks off the mountain, and he feels this blistering fire that passes over the mountain, the heat of it burning And then there's an earthquake that shakes the whole mountain. And Elijah stays put because he knows that's not God. And then he hears this gentle whisper, the Bible says, gentle whisper. 
and he wraps his face up in his cloak because no one can see God and live, and he goes out and speaks to God. I tell you this to tell you that in the whole of the Old Testament, the visions that we have of God are either visions, you know, of what God might be like or the most holy, the most wonderful people. Moses and Elijah, who we often call the law and the prophets, symbols of those two have a glimpse and a whisper. A glimpse and a whisper is what the best among us get to see of God. Until the book of Matthew. I'd invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn there. Matthew chapter 17. If you don't, I'll read it to you. A glimpse and a whisper until this day. Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance changed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothing became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And then Peter says something stupid, of course, but that's Peter. But when he said it, a bright cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with him. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. The whole Old Testament. And we get a glimpse and a whisper of the glory of God. Nobody can see the glory of God and live. And then comes this rabbi named Jesus. And everybody's seen him. Anybody who wants to can see him teach Anytime they want, they might have to run and see where he is, but anybody can see him, and he touches people and makes them well and feeds thousands. Anybody can see him. His disciples live with him. And yet, until this day on the mountain, they didn't really know who they were living with. And then on this day, on the mountain, the human side for just a split second is swallowed up by the God side The God glory burns through Christ so much you can hardly look at it. And there are Elijah and Moses, and we'll come back to that. And there are the disciples beholding the glory of God face to face. Face to face. And that that helps us understand, right? We, We kind of, we just kind of gloss over what a lot of the scriptures say. Like the book of John, when you're in the the book of John, and the Word became flesh, right? I mean, this is exciting. We're kind of like, yeah, we live on the other side. We get it, right? We're, yeah, of course he did. We knew that. We know the story. Hear this with new ears then. Hear this with new ears. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. That's from 1 John 1, 1. How do you start out your letter? You say, oh my gosh, we have seen the glory of God. We have heard him. No one ever has. We have. And then look at the book of John. The word became human and lived among us. And then hear this. We saw his glory. We saw his kavod. You see how big that is? 
You see how amazing that is? How fortunate we are to live on this side of that final mountain? That God has been fully revealed to us, not in whispers or glimpses, but in Jesus Christ. A human being like us and yet God among us. And who got invited to the party? Elijah and Moses. Took thousands of years, right? But God let them see his glory. His glory in Christ. And so what I would encourage you today is if you feel like you're in the wilderness and you don't know if God is going to abandon you there, I would encourage you he will not. He will never, ever, ever abandon you in the wilderness. Never. He will not, he will not, he will not. And the second thing I would encourage you is that we live on the other side of that longing. So if you long to see God, he has been revealed. Look no further than Christ. God's full revelation, his glory. And what was the glory? God among us. A Savior who dies so that we can live. Let's pray. God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, that we live on the other side of that last mountain, that we have a chance to know Christ, to know that you will never abandon us in the middle of a wilderness. And so give us courage today to continue as your children, to offer healing to the world, Lord, um, to know that you will never leave us. And yes, to see your glory. In Christ we pray. Amen.